a message titled, Is It Possible to Conquer Fear? I was in my car the other day, radio was on, and I heard a man say, the biggest problem to American people today is fear. He went on to give reasons, none of which I doubted, and I said to myself, riding along, if this be true, then preachers in America ought to be preaching about fear. So the Holy Spirit directed me for this theme today. One lady wrote her doctor, I cannot describe the symptoms, the sensations of dread, fear of death. I am never without a panicky feeling, doing things as in feverish haste. I am afraid to leave home, yet hate myself for these fears. This lady holds a prominent position of leadership in her community. She further said, no one suspects these things. To outward appearances, I am the picture of health. I keep smiling and laughing. I have three children in a large house of which I take excellent care and appear unusually calm and collected at all times. But underneath, the ravishes of fear. And I wonder if we could pull the masks off today, what we would really see in this congregation. Up there in the balcony and all the way down through this main floor, if we could truly see what was behind the facade, what we would see if we had that ability. Fear is not limited to people who are in such a serious state of mind as to require hospital care. We know there are many in that condition, but we know it's not limited there. None of us carries on a normal existence for any period of time without encountering the reality of fear. None of us. It is common to all humanity. It is part of the framework of life. Even those who appear on the outside to be poised and in control are victims of its blight. So we need to look to the Bible as to how to alleviate the tensions of fear, how to cope with fear. I want to suggest, first of all, three possibilities. The first one is exemplified in the book of 1 Samuel through the life of King Saul, and I call it a breakout. King Saul protested his selection in the first place to be king of Israel. If you'll remember the story, he complained by saying, I'm the least in my father's house and our family is unimportant, one of the weakest tribes we belong to. He was afraid of the position so much so that he hid behind the stuff in the camp. In a panic of fear, he hid himself so he would not have to be anointed king of Israel. He stood head and shoulders above all of Israel. Physically, he was tall and mighty and handsome, but he hid a coward at heart, fear, stalking his footsteps, yet selected to be the first king of Israel by God. 
as big as he was, a coward at heart, a square peg in a round hole. And how much like some of us is that story of Saul? Did he get over it? When he got into office, compelled by the people, the strain and tension of his responsibilities day by day eventually brought him to a place of snapping. His mind snapped. He began to suspect even those who loved him the most. David loved him and would have done anything for him, but Saul suspected him of plotting against him to secure the throne. So Saul sent David against the Philistines in what seemed a hopeless exploit, certain that David would be killed. When that didn't succeed, he took a javelin one day and tried to thrust it through the heart of David, pinning him to a wall. But David fortunately escaped. When Saul was in the torment of mental difficulty, they called for David to come and play his harp and sing to calm the king down. He was in such tragic states. Later on, he showed further signs of his difficulty by taking off his clothes in public and by seeing a witch located at Endor seeking counsel and direction. Tension was too much for Saul. He broke out. He lashed at his family. He brought destruction to himself and to his nation. We see him last on the fields of Gilboa, falling on a sword, piercing his stomach, his innards gushing out. On the field of battle, he who was so mighty and so prosperous and so talented and so called ended up a suicide who broke out, unable to handle his fears. I wonder really to what extent the two world wars that we have gone through in this century could be attributed to similar forces in the personalities of men like the Kaiser and Adolf Hitler who could not cope with their fears, for I have read of Adolf Hitler that he was afraid of his shadow, afraid that people would leave him. And he broke out in his fears to try to conquer the world at tremendous cost. It's one way, but certainly not God's way. The second possibility is a breakdown, and that is not God's way either. The first group lashes out, the second absorb the tension themselves and can't handle it and crumble under the load of it. We do not know what David was going through when he wrote the 40th Psalm, but he was going through something intense. But in that psalm, he said, he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay. What a testimony. He was being inundated with the problems and challenges of life. 
But instead, instead of having a breakdown, David said, he brought me up out of this horrible pit and out of the miry clay. Everything under me seemed soggy and sinking until I found him. Harry Emerson Fosdick described how as a young man he almost broke. Life seemed to be standing over him saying, you're finished. But Mr. Fosdick testified that he found the answer in his study of prayer. The value of prayer in the human life to the human psyche. The ability to talk to someone at any hour of day or night who hears and answers. And in his study of prayer, he did not break down. He found an answer and could say with David, He brought me up out of an horrible pit and out of the miry clay. Hallelujah. You don't have to break down. The third possibility is the one I like. It's to break through. Tension can build until there's a breakout like Saul, a breakdown, or it can mean a breakthrough to a new level of existence. In this 40th Psalm, there are three wonderful blessings that follow his statement, he brought me up out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and here they are. He set my feet upon a rock and established my goings, and he hath put a new song in my mouth. Marvelous. Fear causes many to feel that the foundation to life is gone. There's nothing left. Everybody's against us. There is sickness, perhaps. There's the lack of work. There's this, there's that. There's a hundred other things. It's a horrible pit, and it's miry clay. There's nothing solid to plant your feet on. It's here that the reality of the infinite and all-loving God comes into play. I'm not saying these fears are not real. I'm not saying that David did not experience a pit and a clay experience. I'm not saying that people do not go through the night and through the valley. I know they do. We all do. But what I'm saying is that it is his will that we break through into the day. That's the great possibility. He set my feet upon a rock. He established my goings. And he put a new song in my mouth. When we see that we can't take on the universe by ourselves, that God cares about every one of us, that he has a purpose and plan for each of us, there comes a sense of security and our feet are set upon a rock. He established my goings. Just let that statement sink in. He established my goings, the Revised Standard Version says, making my steps secure. Moffat says, he steadied my steps. It means we accept God's will for our lives. We take a step at a time without consuming our strength and worrying about the future. He established my goings. Oh, how we need that. Then we break through, not out and down, but through when we know that. He guides my steps. He leads me beside the still waters for his name's sake. And furthermore, he puts a new song in my mouth. Can you imagine David going around all of these grumbly, fearful people singing, and they look at him? Huh? 
And notice that it was God who gave the song. He hath put a new song in my mouth. David was a composer, but he didn't compose this song. God gave it to him. Songs in the night, the Bible speaks of. God gave me a song. He hath put a new song in my mouth. So instead of rising in the morning saying, what good can you expect from any day that begins by getting up? You know God is there and you sing. You sing songs unto the Lord. That's David's experience. He brought me up out of the horrible pit and he's brought many the same way. And his heart designs the help and the healing that every one of us needs. I've said to people so many times, anything that touches you has touched him first. He knows about it. He aches when you ache. He hurts when you hurt. There's not a thing you will ever experience that he hasn't felt a thousand times over. Now all you have to do is slip your hand in his. Trust him as one who knows what he's doing, and he'll bring you through. He'll not cast you down. Paul declared to Timothy that the spirit of fear is not a part of God's gift to his children. I don't know what Timothy was going through, but I knew, do know that God gave him a gift. And Paul said, stir up that gift, Timothy. God hasn't give, has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What you're experiencing is not of God. Break out of that feeling. And note love and his spirit's power in your day-by-day -day experience. God wants us to see things as they really are not as the way we imagine them to be. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Now let me help you further after showing you the three possibilities, and I trust you can see those emphatically, you can either break out, break down, or break through, and you have the choice. I hope you have the good sense to choose the right one. Now, there are three antidotes that Paul gives us in 2 Timothy 1.7, which we read a while ago. And I want to back them up, starting with the third. God hath given us a sound mind. Now, what does this mean? It does not simply imply that everybody is well and okay just because they're not in the insane asylum. There are people right here this morning listen, listening to me, people watching us by television, listening by radio and tape, who do not have a sound mind. But they're carrying on the duties of life, fairly adequately, but not totally. There are two areas, I believe, that God is speaking to here, and one of them is imagination. Imagination gets us into deep trouble, giving rise to fear. I read of a mother whose son went to war, just to illustrate this. She adopted the attitude of a martyr when he was called to fight. She wept a great deal, continually talked as if her son were dead, wearied her neighbors, hurried away from social engagements under the guise that she had to hurry home because she was sure a telegram informing her of her son's death would be arriving. This went on for months. 
When he finally returned home, she learned he had never seen any action at all. He had never left England. He was there in clerical duty all the time. Hadn't heard a shot fired, hadn't even seen a gun. Her fears had no basis in fact. Yet immeasurable unhappiness was created for herself and her friends by imagination. I was away one night recently, and when I came back the next day, my wife told me of how the house the night before was filled with sounds. When you're laying there in the dark alone and the boss is gone, and, you know, that pillar of strength <laughs> could handle anything that would ever come along. House is securely locked, but in the darkness, he's not there. That tender hand is not there. And she had to get up and check this and that. And you know our imaginations do incredible things. We've all experienced it, haven't we? There are people now who will not go up into the upper parts of hotels because of the fires that have been created. And now it's not unusual for them to ask you if you mind going to a certain floor. I've had that happen to me several times lately. You know why? They're imagining they smell smoke. They get into a room, they lock the door, and they hear things. They, a oh, a siren! It's on fire! And they're going nuts! Imagination is incredible. God says, I'll give you a sound mind, and it deals with your imagination. When I was in Bible school on a McDonald budget, <laughs> I had a car, it had a radio, and the radio went out, and I didn't think I had money to fix it. I imagined the cost being immense or the radio having to be totally replaced, so I went for three months without the radio. One day I thought, I've got a little extra. Maybe, just maybe, it wouldn't be all that expensive, and I drove the car into a shop and asked the fellow to check it, and I drove away happy, having spent 25 cents for a fuse. <laughs> My imagination deprived me of the use of that radio for three months. Never thought about a fuse. There is an antidote to that, the sound mind. It's the God-mind principle. Then there are exaggerated anxieties. We postpone facing up to situations because of fear of the situation. Exaggerated anxieties. People tremble with fear at the thought of unemployment or sickness or death. Exaggerated anxieties. That's not maintaining a sound mind. I remember when I was in Montana as a teenager working on these big Montana ranches, my encounters with rattlesnakes, and I learned something. And it was a good thing to learn. I found that a rattlesnake could not strike any longer than its body. If it was three feet long, that was the length of his strike. If it was six feet, then that would be the length of his strike. So all you had to worry about was being at least that far away, one inch further, I guess. So these friends, you know, they'd be 20 feet back in the presence of these 
snakes out on these ranches. But I, learning that lesson, would get just within that proper place so I could drop the rock more accurately on its head, knowing that he could not touch me as long as I was just one inch further than the length of his body. Several are in eternity today because of that discovery. We exaggerate, don't realize that we can create a sound mind principle. A boy who was beat up his first day at school had a very wise father. When he came all beat up, his dad looked at him and said, Son, I'll give you a penny for every mark on your face that you come home with from school. I'll give you a nickel for a black eye, and I'll give you a buck for a broken nose. That kid went back to school to make money. <laughs> he conquered his fears. He, his dad, knew that he would exaggerate that one beating, believing that he would be beat up every day he ever went to school. The only way to cure him was to send him back with a reward if he got beat up. A millionaire today. <laughs> no, I don't really know that. I just <laughs> strike that from the record. He knew the fear could be overcome by facing the situation squarely, sound mind principle. See clearly a situation which causes the tension. Make a plan and carry out that plan to completion. My wife and I were asked years ago to come to a little church in Washington to pastor. The two little boys and a lot of vision and a lot of energy and... We looked at that five acres of property that day and a little building sitting up on the front of the property and outhouses behind it. Walk into the church and it was one room, one big room. No nursery, no nothing but a room. You walked in the door and you were in the church and it wasn't much to be in. We felt God led us there. We laid out a plan. Let's fix up the building we've got first and we found a church that was building and didn't need their pews, sold them for a song. One day the church arrived for Sunday services and found all these neat pews in the building instead of the scratchy old pieces of wood that had been there before. Totally painted, new lights, glorious change. Then we planned a building with restrooms that could be an educational wing and tore down the old outhouses. That was the day of marvelous victory when those things came down. And then we added a beautiful sanctuary to the educational wing and tore down the old sanctuary that had been up in the front as an eyesore to the beautiful property. And now if you were to drive through Maple Valley, the church of the community is the Tahoma Assembly of God. Beautiful building, beautiful setting, a fine congregation because there was a plan and an act to carry out that plan and it touched the community. You can't sit around fearing, exaggerating your anxieties. There's no way to solve this problem. I'll never have a church that will attract the people. You decide God's heart and move to accomplish what God's will and purpose is. You apply that to any part of your life. And God is there.
The spirit of fear is not a part of God's gift. Faith drives fear out. And you develop a sound mind. Then in the middle of 2 Timothy 1.7 is the word love. God gives us the spirit of love. The early Christians were stalked by persecution and death. The Roman soldiers were bent on the destruction of every Christian. Yet in his first letter to the church, chapter 4, verse 18, John said, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. I want you to listen to me very carefully today because I see this so prominent in our time. Hatred and prejudice stalk our way. Hatred and prejudice is everywhere, and it's the reason for so much of our fear. Perfect love casts out fear. If you don't have God's perfect love, you're going to have fear. The devil will see to it. You cannot escape it. Hatred and prejudice brings about fear destruction. Now, some of you read the Sunday newspaper already. You should never do that before you come to church. Terrible thing to do. Because you come to church filled with all of this horrible news, and you have to break through that before you can ever see God. You've read about the airplane crash. You've read about the problems in the Middle East. You've read about the murder. You've read about the rape. You've read about all of this other, and only half of the teams in existence won yesterday, and the other half was liable to be yours, so you're down before you ever come. You know what develops? Fear. You read the newspaper, you watch television, you pour over a magazine, and while you're doing it, you're attacking Russia, you're attacking France, you're attacking the president, you're attacking some minority group that doesn't do things the way you think it ought to be done. You're attacking the legislature. You build up prejudice. You build up hatred. That is not perfect love. And what comes is fear. And it's everywhere. People of this nature do not sleep well. They're often treated for ulcers and often come home at night or to church on Sunday with a chip on their shoulder. They're mad at the preacher. And there really isn't any reason for it, except that they've been so filled with fear because of hatred and prejudice. They don't know what to do with the Jews, and they don't know what to do with the Arabs. They don't know what to do with those in Ecuador. They don't know what to do with those in Guatemala. They don't know how to handle the Russians, and they fear the Chinese, and they don't think anything is being done in Washington, and certainly very little in Sacramento. And so they wonder how the world will ever come out right, and fear, fear, fear because of hatred and prejudice. If we could only have another election, if this would happen over here, and thus and so, and fear, fear, fear. And God says there is only one antidote, and that is perfect love, his love. So that I can stand here today and say, I love the Jews and I love the Arabs. I love the Russians and I love the Chinese. I love the blacks and the whites and the Hispanics and anybody. I don't have an enemy as far as I know. I don't hate anybody. I love. Because God's love is in my heart. It's my nature to love. There's a great big ball in here and it's marked love and it just keeps shooting out little signals love 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 at least i hope so that's the way i feel i love because god's love is in me and i don't fear anything 
that I know of. God is in control because perfect love casts out the fear that would come if we look at things in the natural. Hatred and prejudice. Deal with it, my friend. You can't handle it. It develops fear and destruction will ensue. God's love casts it out. Receive it today. Then the third thing and the last is the power. God has not given us the spirit of fear but of love. Sound mind, power. Those who drink deeply of divine resources are those who live triumphantly. Drink deeply of divine resources. Now, some of you, let me just tell you in love, you're too surface. That's the problem. You're too surface. You've got to get down deeper into the things of God. That's what this church is for. That's what Bible studies are for and home fellowship meetings are for and Sunday school classes are for. Did you get to a Sunday school class at 9 o'clock this morning or did you read that stupid paper? Get to a Bible class. Get your roots into the Word. Because those who dig deeply into the things of God live triumphantly, receiving the power of God for life. It's his antidote to fear. My brother Marvin and I were traveling over to Santa Rosa a week ago Friday for Jesus West Coast because we both had to speak there. And driving down Road 116 off of Highway 37, to connect to 101 to get to Santa Rosa, we suddenly came along two huge, long rows of eucalyptus trees. Big, tall things. And my brother is much more learned in the things of nature than I am because he's lived in it for so long. He said, Glenn, do you know the problem with eucalyptus trees? No, I really don't. Let me learn something. So he said, their roots are too shallow. He said, look, and as we drove along, there were some of these massive trees uprooted, just laying there dying, and their roots sticking out toward the road. Ugly things, and I learned the lesson. The storms come through there, and those eucalyptus trees only have shallow roots, and they are susceptible to the storm. I said, I don't think I'd like to drive down this road during a storm. As I looked at the devastation of what had already happened by many of these massive trees lying in ruin alongside the road with their roots exposed, no depth. Uh, you learn so much spiritually by observing as you move along through the day. The Spirit of God says that's the way life can be. You're so shallow when the storms come, you don't have any depth and you get blown away. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. How do you get the power? Get your roots down into God. That's where the power comes from. It's not a now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, blah, 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 blah. God is so sick of that prayer. He could get away from that prayer once and for all. He told me that, so I wanted to tell you. He just He's so tired of hearing that prayer. But that's the surface experience of so many. Say the same thing, do the same thing, just like one of these computers. They keep spitting it out. And God says, hey, why don't you stop sometime and get 
a little depth to your life. What about Sunday night church where the pastor's teaching on the fruits of the Spirit which are so fundamental to life? Oh, but Lord, you know I've got to watch my favorite. Mm, I've got to visit Aunt. Mm, mm, I've got to dig. Mm, I got a deal tomorrow and I got to get that. Mm, mm, I'll get gotten. Mm, mm. Okay, the storm may come Wednesday and be careful. Be careful. The storm comes, that which has just surface roots going to be uprooted. God gives us what? Power. There is a power in the faith whereby we may triumph over our darkest forebodings and our darkest anxieties. That's what this verse means. There's a lady who lost her health. In the midst of that, her husband lost his job resulting in nights of wakefulness for her. Fear made it difficult for her to eat. She lay awake one night in the dark thinking of a sermon she had heard, and here's the verse the sermon was based on, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Mark it down where God spoke to Paul in his trouble and said, My grace is sufficient for thee. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. In the darkness, she said it out loud. My grace, and it came to her. It is not from earth, it's from above. It's a signal of God's power and God's ability. My grace, she said it out loud, is sufficient. No exception, there's enough. She said it out loud in the dark. For thee, she said, that's personal. That's for me. She was transformed, just like that. My grace, God's power, God's love is sufficient. It's enough, and it's for me. And she took it and was healed. That's what I'm talking about today. Yes, you can conquer fear, but you have to do it God's way. Worry is praying to the wrong God. Fear is serving the wrong master. Fear is the opposite of faith. And I want you to do a little exercise with me this morning as I've asked you to do on other occasions, but differently than this exercise. You've got to visualize this now. Last night I went into my bedroom and there were probably ten suitcases sitting all over. And I said, my goodness, are we taking the whole house to Canada? Well, she said, I'm trying to decide which two we're going to take. Oh, all right. I never did know why we bought all those suitcases. They're there, and um, they have to be packed. As far as I'm concerned, I'd just wear this suit for a week if they'd let me get by with it. I hate to carry suitcases around, but they won't let me get by with it. But I want you to envision that you have a suitcase on your lap right now, and it's open, the lid's up. You got it? Samsonite? Superite? I don't care what. Cheap or expensive? I don't care. In my bedroom, there are all these different sizes. Now, I want you to pick your size, and it depends on the amount of your fear. You got great fear, you better pick a big one. Three-suiter. Okay? 
Now, if you've got medium fear, you pick the medium one. That's the one I usually get, medium one. She gets the big one. <laughs> medium one. And if that's your fear, you put, it, put your fear in that one. Or if it's just a little carrying case, you know that has to go on the plane. Never know when you're going to need that goop. So you carry it on the plane, under your feet all day, in case you need to beautify or something. You understand, right? Well, you've got it on your lap. You're picturing it now? It's open? Now dump all your fears in it. Come on, put them all in there. You've been to the doctor and he's given you bad news. Dump that in there. Your job situation doesn't look good. Dump that in there. God's probably got something exciting coming up. Your marriage problem, dump it in there. Fear is not of God, it's of, de of the devil, it's of Satan. Dump it in there, get it inside that suitcase. Are you putting it in? Don't know what I'm going to do in the fall, whether I'm going to go to school or join the army, or I don't know whether I ought to get married or stay single. Put it in there! God has not given you the spirit of fear. Shut the lid. Put it down. Fasten it. Uh-oh! Yours won't fasten. You got too much in that one. Throw it out. Get a bigger case. Come on. We're going to wait for you. Bigger case. Put it in there. Now it'll shut, right? Bigger. All your fears, all your anxieties, all your cares. Cast them on him in the suitcase. Now pick it up with a handle. Got it? Take a trip with me. We're going to take a walk. Oh, it's it. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and outside the city wall, there is a cross on a hill. Here we are. We've made it now. Put the suitcase down at the foot of the cross. Now, come on with me. Leave it there. We're going home. We leave it there. that garbage. Don't carry that rubbish. Leave it where the blood of Jesus drips on it and cleanses it and deals with it. God hasn't given you that in the first place. Leave it at the cross and go forward in victory to have a life filled with joy and meaning and purpose and do something for God with the one crack you give at life. Without the fear of hell, you can face any demon of hell when you have the faith of God in your heart. We've left it there where it belongs. Glory to God. Stand to your feet, please. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. People all over this building who need to start walking to this altar with your suitcase. I want you to leave it right here today. Fear has been stalking your pathway. You're tied up in knots. 
want you to come and let us pray for you this morning. We're going to cast out fear in the name of Jesus. It's not of God. Will you start walking? Get out into the aisle. Come to this altar. Stand here with me. Or I can pray with you from the balcony. You come down these side stairways. Come to this altar. Down on this main floor. Just start right now. Come as I'm talking to you. We're dealing with fear. God hasn't given you fear. That came from hell. That came from the pit. That came from Satan. We're going to deal with it today. We're going to handle it today in the name of Jesus Christ. God hath given us power, sound mind, love. Perfect love casts out fear. If you need Christ in your heart, you don't need to fear to die. Come and receive Jesus into your heart today. Come and let Christ rule and reign inside of you. Trust him as your Savior. Leave your sins with him today. Let him be Lord of your life. So many of us don't like the idea of going to hell, so we receive him as Savior. But listen, make him Lord. That's when it really takes on meaning, when he becomes Lord of your life. When he's in control, bring your fears. Keep coming, keep coming. Step out into that aisle. Make a move toward the Lord. We're going to have a prayer together of release and victory. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Sing it with me, even now, Lord, even now, Lord. As we sang earlier, let it ring with clarity and power, and then we're going to pray. And if you need to come, you keep coming as we sing it together. Choir, you help me as we sing.